Welcome to today's episode of the Gone Fission Nuclear Report. This podcast is your one-stop source for all the latest news in the Department of Energy's Environmental Management Program across the nation. Now with today's report, here is your host, Michael Butler. Thank you, Jennifer, and hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Gone Fission Nuclear Report. Today is Monday, July 18th, 2022. We're covering all the news from the Department of Energy's Environmental Management Program across the country. In today's Spotlight interview, we'll talk with Justin Wildey, a wildlife biologist with Hanford Mission Integration Solutions, who will discuss the variety of wildlife on DOE's Hanford site in Washington State. I think Department of Energy has a really strong commitment to protecting some of our ecological resources, including wildlife. And I feel like it's almost continuing to get better as well. Uh, speaking for what we do on the Hanford site, the Department of Energy has developed like a biological resources management plan where we actually uh, describe how we're going to protect these sort of things. It's not kind of a uh, backroom sort of discussion or anything. We, we're upfront with how we're monitoring and how we're, we're working to protect our species. So often with cleanup missions, it, it can be easy for, especially when the contractors have uh, deadlines and goals to meet, it can be easy to just kind of say, is it an endangered species? And what's my legal requirement when we talk about wildlife, uh, which can be kind of narrow-sighted and maybe miss the big picture of our resource impacts. So at Hanford, we're con- committed to doing more than that. This interview is the second of a four-part series we're presenting on wildlife at Department of Energy sites. As we have noted, many of these sites are remote with huge land masses used mostly for buffer areas to protect classified operating areas from intrusion and provide for public safety. This has made them a ready home for wildlife and you'll be impressed with the variety and makeup of the wildlife populations at these sites. In our last episode, part one, we started with the Savannah River site talking with Dr. Gene Rhodes, director of the University of Georgia's Savannah River Ecology Laboratory. In future episodes, we'll visit with representatives from Idaho and the former Fernald site in Ohio, where there are regular public tours of wildlife habitats. We know you'll be intrigued, amused, and amazed by the stories you'll hear from these sites. It is a fun-filled educational experience, so don't miss any of these episodes. We are pleased to report that the Gone Fish and Nuclear Report is now ranked in Apple's Top 200 Podcasts in the Business News category. This category includes approximately 2,000 podcasts. The leading podcasts in this category include The Wall Street Journal Money Report, CNBC Squawk on the Street, Bloomberg Law and Yahoo Financial Daily. Thanks to you, our listeners, for making us one of the most popular podcasts in Apple's business news category. We'll continue to bring you the news and features on important topics from the Department of Energy's Environmental Management Program. Now here with today's top story is Michael Butler. DOE has awarded the Waste Isolation Pilot Plant Management and Operating Contract to Tularosa Basin Range Services, LLC, or TBRS, 
located in Reston, Virginia. TBRS is a single-purpose entity comprised of Bechtel National Incorporated. The company will utilize Los Alamos Technical Associates, Inc. as a small business teaming subcontractor. This cost-plus-award fee contract includes a four-year base period and six one-year option periods. The estimated contract value is $3 billion, including all option periods. EM said it received five proposals in response to this solicitation. Bechtel will support EM's mission by managing, operating, and maintaining the waste isolation pilot plant. The new contract will replace the current one held by Nuclear Waste Partnership, which expires on September 30th. Located near Carlsbad, New Mexico, WIP disposes of transuranic or true waste in underground salt deposits. True waste is made up mostly of irradiated clothing and equipment from DOE nuclear facilities. During a recent community forum, DOE officials said they anticipated an increase in shipments from DOE sites to the New Mexico facility, which is expected to operate for decades to come. DOE has approved a new plan that will accelerate the disposition of spent nuclear fuel at the Savannah River site by more than 20 years and result in a savings of more than $4 billion. Under the newly approved approach called Accelerated Basin De-Inventory, SRS will dissolve spent nuclear fuel at the H. Canyon Chemical Separations Facility and send it through the site's liquid waste program to be vitrified and safely stored on site until a federal repository is identified. Since 1995, H. Canyon has been used to dissolve spent nuclear fuel from the site's L Basin, an underwater facility that receives and stores spent fuel from foreign and domestic research reactors. After dissolution, H. Canyon used complex chemical processes to purify and blend the resulting highly enriched uranium with natural uranium to produce low-enriched uranium. The low-enriched uranium was then used in commercial power reactors to make electricity. This approach made the high-enriched uranium no longer usable for nuclear weapons. H. Canyon is the only operating production-scale nuclear radiochemical separations facility in the U.S., but the facility is nearly 70 years old and expensive to maintain and operate. The Accelerated Basin De-Inventory Initiative allows certain H. Canyon systems to be made inactive, saving processing and associated upkeep and maintenance costs. The new approach also allows SRS to dispose of more than 3,000 spent fuel bundles in L Basin by the mid-2030s compared to 2060 under the previous approach. EM recently completed the demolition of the X-326 Uranium Process Building, marking the most significant cleanup milestone to date at its Portsmouth, Ohio site. Completion of the teardown of the X-326 building, a two-story structure covering 56 acres under roof, fulfills an EM 2022 priority and is a critical achievement in the cleanup and transformation 
of the Portsmouth Gaseous Diffusion Plant. EM is cleaning up the site in preparation for community reuse and reindustrialization. Structural demolition began less than 13 months ago and was completed three months ahead of schedule. The half-mile-long structure is the first of three massive process buildings to be demolished at Portsmouth. EM and its contractor, Floor BWXT Portsmouth, spent more than 10 years planning and preparing the X-326 building for demolition by removing more than 7,000 process components and performing approximately 1 million non-destructive assay measurements in the building. The building once enriched uranium to its highest assay for national defense. A virtual museum cataloging and commemorating the history of the U.S. Department of Energy's Paducah gaseous diffusion plant is now available online. It can be viewed at pgdpvirtualmuseum.org. That's pgdpvirtualmuseum.org. The virtual museum includes detailed information on the history and processes used at the PGDP, as well as information about why Paducah was chosen as an enrichment site. Virtual museum goers can also find a comprehensive history of the gaseous diffusion plant, including how it all began, life at the plant, timelines, and missions at the Paducah site. The plant was built in the 1950s to enrich uranium from military nuclear reactors and weapons development. It later supported the nation's commercial nuclear power program. The Paducah site manufactured low-enriched uranium, which was further enriched and processed at the Portsmouth Gaseous Diffusion Plant in Piketon, Ohio, and the K-25 plant in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And now it's time for People in the News. Veteran DOE and National Nuclear Security Administration official Kathy Tullis has been named new EM Chief of Staff. She starts her new position this week. Tullis previously served as Chief of Staff for the Associate Administrator for Management and Budget at NNSA. Her NNSA experience also includes serving in multiple director positions in the Executive Secretariat, Policy and Communications, and Technology offices. Tullis started her DOE career in the field at Chicago Operations Office and worked three years at NNSA's Nevada field office. She also possesses a background with DOE in safeguards and security, where she managed multiple national-level security programs. The EM Chief of Staff leads the organization's front office in supporting EM leadership to ensure an effective, efficient, and high-performing culture for achieving aggressive cleanup at EM sites. Congratulations, Kathy, and welcome. You're up to date on the latest DOE environmental management news. Now it's time for this week's Spotlight interview featuring a special guest. Here again is Michael Butler. Now it's time for this week's Spotlight interview. 
We're talking with Justin Wildey, a wildlife biologist with Hanford Mission Integration Solutions at the Hanford site in Washington State. This interview is the second of a four-part series on wildlife at Department of Energy sites. What kind of species exist? How are they protected? And do they ever interfere with cleanup operations? In part one, we talk with Dr. Gene Rhodes, director of the University of Georgia's Savannah River Ecology Laboratory. In coming episodes, we'll visit Idaho and the Fernal site in Ohio. Here's our interview with Justin Wildey. We're talking with Justin Wildey today. Uh, Justin is a, a wildlife biologist at the Hanford site, and uh, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, wildlife at Hanford. And welcome to the podcast, Justin. Well, thank you, Michael. Um, excited to be here and talk through some of the wildlife here at Hanford. Well, we're glad to have you here. Let's just start with an overview, if we can. If you could just start by talking about the kind of wildlife that's found on the DOE's Hanford site. Give us an overview. Yeah, Hanford's quite the unique area. Um, for 80 years now, it's kind of been controlled boundaries with the federal government. And that has kind of created an unintentional like wildlife refuge out of that by, by not allowing public or hunting um, and development access in those areas. It's, it's created this cool little unintentional wildlife refuge that we get a research and study. The Hanford Reach is one of the last free-flowing stretches of the Columbia River or may actually be the last free-flowing stretch of the Columbia River. And it has a lot of different fish and fish species, including Chinook salmon, steelhead, and some of the game species that people like to fish for, like smallmouth bass and walleye. Uh, as far as mammals go, Hanford's also home to a bunch of mammals, including from small all the way up to larger mammals. Uh, Townsend ground squirrels are some of the prairie dog lookalikes uh, that we have on the Hanford site. We have two species of jackrabbits, both the black tail and white tail jackrabbits, up through some of our larger mammals like the coyotes, deer, uh, and elk that people like to stop and take photos of often. So Hanford's also home to a whole bunch of amphibians and reptiles. We have a couple of species of toads, uh, including the Woodhouse's toad and Great Basin Spadefoot toad, reptiles, whole bunch of different types of snakes. We have a sagebrush lizard as well, which is one of the state's sensitive species. And of course, uh, rattlesnakes, which are not always everybody's favorite. But with a wide range of habitats that Hanford has, uh, we also have over 200 species of birds that visit the site. Uh, and over a hundred of these guys actually try and nest or may breed on the site. Some of these include like sagebrush sparrow, ferruginous hawk, which happens to be the largest hawk in North America. We have a few nests that happen on Hanford. And of course, uh, the American symbol of the bald eagle. Uh, just kind of a breakdown of some of our wildlife that we have here on Hanford. Wow. Well, that's really a pretty impressive variety there. Um, what, uh, what do you consider to be the most unusual species on the site? Uh, the most unusual, and are there any endangered species? Well, one of the most unusual species that we might have on the site would be the, the elk. It's weird to kind of maybe see elk roaming around sage steppe habitats, uh, but they have now learned to thrive after some early introductions over in the Yakima area, which is kind of west of us in more central Washington state. Uh, they did some re uh, reintroductions back in the 70s, and they have made their way over to Hanford, and now they kind of thrive in our environment. But one that often surprises people, and uh, I do enjoy when I get a chance to see them myself, is we have river otters. And so the otters popping up and playfully in the Hanford Reach there is sometimes can be a surprise to people that uh, we, we have something like that out here in the middle of the desert. 
Uh, as far as federal species go or uh, endangered species, we do have a few federal species that pass through the Hanford Reach. Uh, the salmon, the Chinook salmon, the spring run variety, and then steelhead also uh, in work live in the Hanford Reach here. And then the bull trout, which is also federally listed, kind of pass through here to get back to their some of their breeding grounds and so we have a lot of the fish species in the federal side. As far as the state side goes, we do have a state endangered species. And again, that's that ferruginous hawk, which is the largest hawk in North America. But it, its population has been dwindling in the state pretty drastically over the last couple of years. And so they changed the status to endangered. And uh, we have the only nest left in the county here on Hanford, just being that kind of unintentional wildlife refuge again. So uh, along with that, we have dozens of species that are listed as state sensitive or candidates to be listed as threatened or endangered in the future. Okay. Um, I know you go to great lengths there to protect wildlife uh, and uh, you've got your hands full with the all the different varieties that you got. Tell us a little bit about your uh, wildlife protection efforts there. Yeah, so we protect wildlife on Hanford in a few different means or a few different methods. Uh, one of them is kind of a direct review approach where if we have a project that's going to be taking place out on Hanford, they submit a request to say, hey, here's the project we plan on doing, and this is where we would like to do it at. And then we get a chance to go out there, survey the site, survey for plants, survey for wildlife, and determine, okay, what can we do to either avoid impacts or if there are going to be impacts, what can we do to minimize those impacts? And then we provide direction and controls to the projects to avoid impacts to those resources while completing the scope. So that's kind of a direct approach for when there's Hanford cleanup operations, we go out and specifically go look at that site and determine, well, what can we do to avoid and minimize impacts to our resources? Um, the, other I, the other method we have is kind of our ecological monitoring program, which is set up as our big bulk monitoring and research program. So we, uh, we develop these monitoring plans based on what species are in decline potentially, what species are sensitive, what species might be an interest to uh, regional kind of tribes or recreation or things like that. We develop these monitoring plans and we go out and perform research on certain uh, species. So uh, we perform the scope and determine the status, kind of the demographics of various species. So where are they? Uh, how many do we have? And what kind of trends are we seeing with their population? And so with this information, it helps us kind of build a base for some of those direct reviews and other impacts that Hanford might be having. And we can kind of determine if we have like maybe a decline in species that's coming up and then start some conservation actions. And we've seen this recently with the Townsend ground squirrel and the Western burrowing owl on our Hanford site. We saw these declines in our populations and we were able to go to uh, with the support of the Department of Energy, uh, start to do some active conservation, take a proactive approach in that conservation. And we started some artificial habitat projects, which have started to bring those species back um, in strength on the Hanford site. So additionally, we have like a site support program as the final little piece where if we have any sort of wildlife, con wildlife conflicts like uh, nesting birds, uh, wildlife that shouldn't be in certain areas or uh, maybe a concern for uh, certain people like, hey, I have a coyote 
walking around near us. What should we do? What can we do? We work with our pest control folks um, and make sure we have the, the best technical guidance and legal and safety requirements that we can do to make sure we get the work done, but protect our valuable resources. So uh, with these program, site support programs, including our bird program, like the U.S. Department of Energy uh, nationally recognized the Hanford Migratory Bird Program uh, for the National Migratory or Presidential Migratory Bird Stewardship Award, and we ended up making it to the, one of the final three nominations nationally for that award. So we have a pretty robust program of protection of wildlife on the Hanford site. Very good. Um, I, I remember seeing a, a social media post just in the last few days uh, uh, from Hanford that showed a couple of elk. Uh, we were talking about the elk and these are, like you say, pretty big animals. And it looked like the photographer was pretty close to them. And uh, maybe they were around some of the uh, some of uh, some of the equipment or something at the site. But uh, that brings up a question about uh, whether uh, the presence of wildlife ever interferes or threatens to interfere with uh, any of DOE's cleanup activities there. Well, Hanford is a very large and active kind of cleanup mission, so it's inevitable that there will be conflict with wildlife on occasion. However, I think most people would be pretty surprised at how uh, infrequently this actually happens. When conflicts do occur these days, it's often with like nesting birds. So birds are, are weird. They nest in places that are weird from time to time, and so we don't uh, necessarily want them to nest in certain locations, but they may nest on buildings or equipment and things like that. So those are really the wildlife conflict that kind of where we have to sit down there and work with our contractors who we've trained to look for these things. Hey, if you see nests, give us a call here. Or if you see birds acting this way, give us a call here. So we work closely with the contractors to kind of pinpoint these things and find them. And then once we locate a situation, we kind of work together uh, to kind of make a best path forward so we can continue the activities and then kind of protect the resource at the same time. Another situation that kind of comes up from time to time is when we have old, large uh, concrete structures that are slated to be demolished. And if these happen to be near the river, occasionally a bat uh, colony has decided to move in while they've been vacant. And so we perform surveys here on the Hanford site prior to any demolition of, uh, of a building like that. And we go through and we look for signs that bats may have moved in. And, and from time to time, we do find maternity roosts or kind of just these big congregation of females that, that breed um, and have their young in these locations. And then we, again, work for some sort of either controls and protection of that building or mitigation before the demolition occurs. And for these efforts to Department of Energy, we have a few of these old structures that are home to bats, and it has now become some of the largest Yuma Myotis maternity colonies in the state of Washington. So uh, we have some success with that as well. But those are the kind of conflicts we're seeing. Um, it's not a big wave of herd of large animals coming through and pushing through and knocking over our equipment and employees or anything like that. It, it's it's some of the, the more minor things like uh, migratory birds and, and bats taking up old buildings sort of thing. Hanford is like uh, other uh, large DOE sites that are undergoing cleanup now in that you have a, a, a very massive site with a lot of buffer land and uh, uh, just sort of uh, uh, uninhabited uh, wild areas. Uh, tell me how you would describe uh, DOE's commitment to protecting wildlife. Uh, how does the uh, department uh, view uh, wildlife protection and why is it important 
in the context of environmental cleanup? I think Department of Energy has a really strong commitment to protecting some of our ecological resources, including wildlife. And I feel like it's almost continuing to get better as well. Uh, Speaking for what we do on the Hanford site, the Department of Energy has developed like a biological resources management plan where we actually uh, describe how we're going to protect these sort of things. It's not kind of a uh, backroom sort of discussion or anything. We're upfront with how we're monitoring and how we're, we're working to protect our species. So often with cleanup missions, it, it can be easy for, especially when the contractors have uh, deadlines and goals to meet, it can be easy to just kind of say, is it an endangered species? And what's my legal requirement when we talk about wildlife, uh, which can be kind of narrow-sighted and maybe miss the big picture of our resource impacts. So at Hanford, we're con- committed to doing more than that. We have that biological resource management plan for lays out how we protect and conserve our habitats and various species. And then we have like this long, complex history of kind of how we protect wildlife. And like I said, we've protected facilities, um, large underground water storage facilities that now house bats, tunnels and buildings that have been built to construct for bats, uh, underground artificial habitats for wildlife, such as burrowing owls or ground squirrels. Mm -hmm. I think the big thing that we're starting to see now is um, a lot of times we kind of have that pyramid of let's start with avoidance. Now let's mitigate or let's let's minimize the hazards or reduce the risk to any sort of resource. And then what can we do to mitigate um, from there? But now we're also bringing in this conservation aspect and kind of an active conservation where, hey, we've just been monitoring, we've been avoiding these, but now we're seeing something else based on the research we're doing. So let's get out there and let's improve it. Um, Hanford is a long, you know, long history behind it. It's complex. both with kind of its operations and now its cleanup story. And so for me, the way I like to describe it is we're Hanford is a big, long story and it's constantly being written. And now it's my opportunity as a wildlife biologist and the rest of our biologists to write the next chapters of that story for Hanford. And so Uh, my goal is not to write a story that, hey, we left behind a gravel parking lot at the Hanford site, but that eventually the story will take a a path that we have this unique and amazing wildlife and habitats that are out there that become almost to a point that it may overshadow some of the history of the industry and cleanup. Um, And so that's kind of our goal out there. And that's what we're working to on Hanford. and, And most of the time, Um, We have some pretty crazy projects from time to time, and DOE continues to uh, stand by us and support the work we're doing out here. Well, that's a very good way to say it. That's very well said. Uh, Justin, we've talked about a lot of uh, things in the last few minutes here, and uh, it's been very informative. Uh, I'm wondering, is is there anything else, uh, any other additional points that you would like to make uh, before we conclude today? I think for for me, it's been a great experience working out at Hanford. But um, when I first came out here, like many people in the public, we there's a news and kind of a, a cloud that sometimes hang over Hanford and uh, on what the news stories are written. And for me, it's been great to change that narrative, to work with the conservation of wildlife and the conservation of our habitats and be able to do things like you mentioned, seeing photographs of, of elk on our social media. Um, if you recently check some of our social media as well. You'll see some of the work we're doing with burrowing owls and banding them and being able to um, have some things that end up with positive likes and smiley faces, you know, and those cor- sorts of interactions has been great. 
um, and just really enjoy kind of this next step of Hanford where it's more hands-on with not just kind of see what we have there and what Hanford is going to impact as we're going forward, but let's get out there and let's actually be active in our role in the environment and creating this, uh, continuing to build on and create this habitat um, and environment that's successful on Hanford for both our plant species and our wildlife species. And to me, that's, that's been the big, the big thing I've been enjoying about my work here on Hanford. And I think that we'll get to see more of as we continue to, you know, ramp down on cleanup and kind of uh, close down more and more areas and then get a chance to restore and, and kind of rehabilitate most of those areas. Justin, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. I appreciate it, Michael. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the Gone Fission Nuclear Report podcast. Join us next week for more news about DOE's environmental management program across the nation. To comment on this episode, hear past episodes, or suggest a future interview guest, visit us at gonefissionpodcast.com. You'll also find links to topics of interest covered in this podcast. Visit gonefishinpodcast.com.